Mark chapter 6, turn in your Bibles. Mark chapter 6, we have been on a series called Reflection. And it's been about imitating the life of Christ, using Jesus as our example to be like Him. As you're making your way there, I've had a bit of trauma in my life this week. You might want to remember me. My 11-year-old, she's a little girl, and she informed me. She said, Daddy, I'm too old for the Princess Disney mirror. We're going to have to get something a little for older girls. So I'm dealing with, you know, last child getting a little bit older, and my wife won't let me have any more, so I guess I'm stuck. But I had another thing happen this week. I had a uh, friend come over, and he brought his little four-year-old girl with him, and they're coming, you know, they're hanging. I'm talking with Dad outside, and the little girl's in the house with Linnell. And Linnell, who is in Mexico, by the way, we had a team go down. They did a ladies' retreat, be coming back this evening, so they should be flying today. Be sure and pray for them. Well, anyway, the, the, Linnell was folding clothes, and she had some of my handkerchiefs. And uh, the little girl said, what is that, you know? And she said, well, it's Pastor's, Pastor John's handkerchief. And she said, this puzzle look, well, what's that for? And Linnell said, well, he'll wipe his face or he'll blow his nose, and, you know, it's his handkerchief. The little girl got this look on her face, and Linnell realized she was a little bit in the dark and said, doesn't your daddy have handkerchiefs? And she said, oh, no, we're not those kind of people. <laughs> so I, I'm in transition in my life. I... Mark chapter 6. If you can send me a text message, tell me what kind of person I am now. I'm a bit confused. Um, last week, we were talking about extraordinary results. If you remember, as we're imitating the life of Christ, Jesus taught us about faith. And he taught us basically, as we said last week, that we can get extraordinary results in our life through faith. Faith is believing God. It's trusting God. It's believing that God can do impossible things, things that are beyond our own ability, that God can intervene and do something about it. Well, everyone in this room, if I were to press you a bit, uh, you would not want to live an ordinary life. In other words, an ordinary life is bounded by things like, you know, how much, how much uh, you, you, the money you make will be determined by the education you have or the job you have or, you know, there's just boundaries and boxes in life and, you know, you've only got so much, you can only do so much. There's nothing that can happen supernatural in my life. It's all kind of geared towards what I can do and how hard I work and what I produce. But the Bible teaches us that God can help us do beyond what we're able to do not just for ourselves, but particularly in the building of His kingdom and living the Christian life. And I've called it extraordinary results because Jesus linked the two together. Now, I'm going to build a, uh, in my review kind of a broader foundation of this thing called faith, but I want you to look in Mark chapter 6, and let's kind of broaden the picture a bit. Mark 6 verse 35, Jesus has been preaching to a crowd of people. And uh, it's at least 5,000 men, and with that, likely wives are there and kids, so we've probably got 20,000 people at least large crowd of people. Verse 35, Jesus came, or the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Imagine it's 6, 6, 37 o'clock. The sun's starting to go down. People are hungry. Well, they, the disciples quite logically said, send the crowds away so they can go and buy something to eat. Now, verse 37, Jesus said something that is profound. He said, you feed them. I want you to stop just a moment, and I want you to think about what Jesus meant by that. What Jesus was saying is, there is an invitation to you that you can go and experience something extraordinary, something supernatural. It's in, it's, it's in your potential that I can do this. Jesus obviously fed these people from, you know, loaves and fishes. Jesus did a miracle, but he's trying to get his followers to enter into this miraculous realm. Well, how many know that when Jesus came to the earth, he came for two purposes? 
The first and most important purpose was what? Yeah, to give his life on the cross for us so we could be saved. But Jesus didn't live in the wilderness 33 years and show up in Jerusalem and was crucified. He spent the three years of his life developing a handful of men called the disciples of the apostles to create them followers so they could replicate the Christian faith so that today there's over 2 billion people around the planet that have heard about Christ and that follow Christ. So Jesus came to give his life for us, but he also came to build his church, build a body of believers, followers that would be with him for all eternity. Well, as he developed these men that would lead the church, this context suggests that he wanted them not only to have Bible knowledge, but he wanted them to be able to get some extraordinary results through faith, to see God do some miracles in their life. How many say that? that's a pretty good thing? I'd like the same thing in my life. Yeah, sure. The Christian life, if it's just knowledge, something is missing. Well, Jesus said, you feed them. And quite predictably, they said, with what? In other words, they went right to the calculator and said, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. So what I want to challenge you today is with this thought. Most of the time in your life, it is your job that will generate money, and that money will provide a lifestyle for you to live, meet your basic needs, and have things to enjoy. But there may be occasions when, led by the Holy Spirit, God wants to do something supernatural in your increase. It could be something very practical, like giving you more house for the money than you could afford, and you realize it's the hand of God. It could be God get a job that you know is beyond anything you've expected. It could be an investment, but who knows what it is. But somehow, God's provision is a step beyond what you could do on your own. Now last week, Matthew 7, 20, the disciples couldn't help a girl that was tormented. In verse 20, Jesus said to them when they asked him, why couldn't we help this girl that was tormented? Jesus said, it was because of your... Yeah. So because of your little faith, faith would open the door. Faith would become a, a bridge into the supernatural. Uh, faith would literally be a, be a bridge of faith to connect the need to heaven's supply. Let me say it again. Jesus, when it's some supernatural opportunity, He has the ability to connect your need to heaven's supply if you will build the bridge of faith. And faith is the bridge, it's the invitation for God to come across and do things that we could never do on our own. Well, last week they couldn't do something that was beyond their ability because of their little faith. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, it will move and... Say that again. Nothing, nothing will be impossible to you. Now that's not saying that, you know, uh, God is like a genie's lamp or the Bible is a genie's lamp, you know, and I want a brand new this or that. It's not just saying, you know, gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy. Uh, it's not saying, you know, that, that I'm going to use God to get what I want in life. But as you are, and this is one of the underlying themes in all the Bible for our prayers, for our faith, is that we're aligning what we're anticipating and expecting and praying for with the will of God that we're trying to advance God's kingdom and see His will done in our lives. But basically, they couldn't make this step because of, they, of their little faith. Now, faith, as definition, simply believes, faith believes that God can do the impossible. And I want to add this to the definition this morning. Faith looks the problem in the eye and says, I believe. Faith looks at the bank book balance. Faith stares at the ATM machine. Faith, faith looks at the spouse who's walked away. Faith looks at the empty bedroom of the child who didn't come home that's doing drugs, and faith says, I believe. Faith is a choice. Uh, Romans chapter 4 perhaps helps us with this definition. Romans 4, 19. Abraham in the Scripture 
was called the father of faith. Now, that's very key. Abraham is the man that we can learn the most about what it means to this thing called biblical faith. And God gave Abraham a promise when he was an older man, about 75, that he would one day have a son. And now we find Abram's 100 years old, and his wife Sarah, or Sarai, is about 90. Now, how many know 90-year-old women don't have babies? And all the women said, yeah. Well, we could just backtrack that quite a ways, and you'd still say amen. Well, anyway, here's the scripture where it opens to us, verse 19 in Romans 4. Without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact. In other words, he looked the problem in the eyes that his body was as good as dead. He was about 100, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Verse 20, very key, he never doubted that God would keep his promise. This is key. When you know the will of God, when God's made a promise to you, it could be a dream, it could be a vision, it could be a prophecy, it could be a portion of the Scripture that the Holy Spirit has like shined this spotlight on and it's become a rhema, a living word for you. It could just be the peace in your heart that you know you found the will of God. But Abraham never doubted that God would keep his promise. He never stopped believing. And that's the key phrase is, he faced the fact and he never stopped believing. Abraham felt sure that God was able to do what he promised. Now, this undergirds and underscores for us this idea of faith is the bridge to connect our need, the need for a child, the promised child, to God's supernatural abilities with this bridge of faith. Now, some other things that we talked about last week. Jesus told us that the lack of faith or being faithless would prevent extraordinary results. If faith builds the bridge, how many know unbelief tears it down? We learned last week that faith, faith was a choice. Remember doubting Thomas? Thomas said, unless I can put my fingers in his nail-scarred hands, I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus said, uh, blessed is he who has not seen, but yet believed. And that's you and I this morning. We've never seen Christ face to face, but on the other hand, we've exercised our faith to believe that he's real. So you can make a choice to believe or a choice not to believe. And the last thing from last week, we said that it was very important to say what we believe. Mark 11, 23 and 4, the Bible spoke about speaking to the mountain. The mountain was the problem. It was symbolic of the problem. The problem could be your kids are, you know, they're hanging with the wrong crowd. and You know, they're at the age you have to make them go to church. Well, how many know faith can look at that mountain and begin to speak that these kids are going to be in the house of God worshiping the Lord? Now, you may not say that to their face because they say, you're crazy. I'm old enough to do what I want to do. But you can walk into their bedroom and speak life over those kids. Let, you, let yourself hear it. Now, I have the same struggles in life that you do. Uh, sometimes I, I worry. Sometimes I'm afraid about things. Sometimes I have scripts that go over in my mind of some bad things that have happened before that they could happen again. You know, maybe your, your grandmother had breast cancer and you have, uh, your mom had breast cancer and, you know, it's time for your annual mammogram. How many know fear can just crawl right up there? Well, when you have something that you're facing in life and it's kind of worry and fear destroying you, let me tell you what I do. I say out loud, I choose to believe. I just say out loud, I choose to believe. Now, I won't do it around people because I don't want you calling the psychiatrist on me. But I say, that was a joke, okay? But I say it out loud, and it does something to me. It helps keep me strong when, when, when my ears hear what I believe. Rather than saying, I'm scared to death. Uh, I'm scared the tornado is going to blow us away. Well, could it blow you away? Yeah. But why be scared of it? Why not believe? I believe God's going to protect us from the storm. See, there's a difference. Faith is a choice. 
And faith is that bridge that you're able to build between your problems, your need, where you are, and where God wants you to be. It's the language, it's the currency that we deal with as Christians. Well, all that's kind of background, and I want to add a couple things to it today as we go with Extraordinary Results Part 2. And I want to give you three things this morning that will help you in your faith. Now, these are worth writing down. If you're not taking notes, it'll be on the Internet in a couple days. You can see it on your iPhone. But Acts chapter 6, verse 5, and what I'm giving you this morning is not a lot of preacher opinion. It's all Bible. This morning, we're just sharing Scripture and Scripture and Scripture and Scripture because I want us to establish our thinking not based on what somebody else said, but how many know Jesus is the one we're trying to imitate? So let's look at this first one. The first thing is that extraordinary results... Let me back up a step. Acts chapter 6. Before I get into these three things, Acts 6, let me say to you that extraordinary results were not limited to the original apostles. Now, let me say it again because a lot of us have been taught, it's called dispensationalism, We've been taught that miracles happen in the Bible, but they don't happen today. Supernatural things were for yesterday, but not for today. How many, how many were raised kind of like that, been taught that? I, I, I've spent time in churches like that. Nobody? I can't believe that. Last service, half the people. So it doesn't mean you're bad. It simply means we are, we're learning as, as we go. But let me challenge that just a little bit because I don't believe that that's true. And I want to share a couple reasons why. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, Stephen the deacon... Again, dispensationalism believes that God did some things through the apostles, but he just doesn't do them any longer today. Stephen was a deacon. Uh, verse 5, they chose Stephen, first deacon, and a man full of, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Stephen full of grace and power. How I many of the Bible says you can be full of faith? Is it possible that you could be half full of faith? Is it possible that your faith tank could be empty? Maybe faith is a little bit like the gas tank on your car. I, I think it is. I think we do things that strengthen our faith and our faith can be drained from us. Stephen, full of faith, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs. Is it on the scripture? No, we've got to back up a little bit. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So here's a guy that was a deacon that was having supernatural results. Let me give you another scripture, Acts 14, verse 8. Paul is in this context. There's a man sitting there who was crippled from birth and had never walked. How many know that's pretty bad? Thank God for wheelchairs and accessibility we have today. But in their day, buddy, you were destined to be carried somewhere every day and sit all day begging for a living. Well, notice now, Paul, verse 9, seeing that he had faith to be healed. It was not Paul's faith. Can you see that? But this man had faith to be healed. Paul looked at him and said in a loud voice, Stand up right on your feet. And he sprang up and began to walk. Now that's a big, big deal. But what I want you to see was this was not the faith of the apostles. It was not even the faith of Paul. Paul had to declare, get up and walk. But he saw in this man, this man had faith. It's the same thing Jesus said last week. You remember about uh, the story of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. In both their lives, Jesus recognized their faith. So that's why this is so valid to you. And I would encourage you to, in our thinking for some of us, we need to open the door to the possibility that God could do miracles in my life today. That it's not just, wasn't just it didn't die with the apostles. The Bible is not just a history book, but it's a living book. That Jesus is indeed the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he went around doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil in his day, how much possible today? But the currency, the exchange is a faith. Let me say one more word about the idea of dispensationalism. I think it is both illogical and faithless 
to believe that the pattern of Jesus' life to build his church was all done away with when some people died or even when the canon was put together some several hundred years after his death. Here's what I mean by that. Here's how Jesus built his church. He didn't take out an ad in the newspaper in Jerusalem. He didn't go on Jerusalem radio or TV or Jerusalem internet, okay? He didn't do any of that. What he did is he found a handful of guys and he talked to them, he showed them, he schooled them, he educated them. He gave them information and he gave them experiences. And then he sent these 12 guys out into the world and they began to have supernatural results. Jesus told them, I don't want you to take any, any, any baggage with you. Don't take any extra money. Don't take any extra food. I'm going to take care of you. And they went out, and lo and behold, and every day on their journey, God gave them something to eat and somewhere to stay. And they went around helping people get healed and delivered and set free. And they came back and said, it's amazing. But he didn't just do it with 12. Then the Bible says he sent out 70. And here's what I want you to see. It was the pattern that Jesus built the early church on. He sent out 70, and they did the exact same thing that the 12 apostles did. And then, lo and behold, when the Bible uh, emerges in the day of Pentecost, the early church in the book of Acts, guess what? These guys are doing supernatural things throughout the book. And those that were authors of New Testament epistles, they talked about supernatural works of God. So I want to encourage you. We, we both might have been taught something that may not be fully true. Are you with me this morning? But how many know if faith is a choice, I can either be like Thomas and say, I'm not going to believe unless I see a verified miracle. I'm not going to believe uh, that miracles are possible unless you show me a doctor's report that says somebody was healed and the doctor didn't do it. I won't believe. Well, guess what? You're going to have exactly what you believe. But I'm going to choose to have faith. I'm going to choose to believe. How about you? Because it's amazing to me, the same friends, and I have a lot of friends that believe that. And I ask them how they got in the ministry, and they say, God called me. I say, well, I didn't think God spoke anymore today. I thought all that was for yesterday. You know, oh, God doesn't heal today. But when they're sick, guess what they call on the phone and ask you to do? Pray for me, I'm sick, I want to be healed. So sometimes our theology gets in the way of our faith. And I want to encourage you to open the windows just a little bit. I want to encourage you to move a little bit farther. Now, let me give you a couple things today. And here's the first one. Luke chapter 5. And it's that when we act on a word from God, extraordinary results will happen. Let me say it again. How many believe God's speaking today? How many Christians hear that the Holy Spirit lives in your life? Well, how many believe that the Holy Spirit can tell you what to do? The Holy Spirit can tell you what house to buy, come on, to make a profit or a loss. The Holy Spirit can tell you what job to take. The Holy Spirit can tell you what person to marry. You know, you may not hear an audible voice, but the Bible says the peace of God, Colossians, is like an umpire. So as you submit yourself to God in prayer, He will guide your life. Well, God will speak to you. So Luke 5, verse 4, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people from Peter's boat. In verse 4, when He'd finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon... Put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So here we've got a preacher telling a fisherman how to catch fish. Worse than that, he's a carpenter. A carpenter telling a fisherman how to catch fish. Well, Simon Peter said, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. In other words, wait just a second, Jesus. I know how to fish. And it was better to fish at night. Now listen, today, if you want to go fishing, you go to the bass shop, and you said, I need some line. They say, what color? Because they can make the line match the color of the water so the fish can't see that what you're pulling through there is fake. 
But it wasn't like that in their day. In their day, they had these big, they were cumbersome nets. They were woven together. Uh, they were big, and if it's in the water, and the water has any clarity to it, the fish can see it coming, and, and how many know that fish is going to swim away? So they'd fish at night where the nets would be hidden. They're, they're very cumbersome things. They would attract a lot of bushes and stuff, you know, and they'd just trash in the net. Well, these nets were all taken up. They were clean, and they were dog-tired at the end of the day. Now, how many know if you're just living by experience and reason, you would know that you can't catch any fish in the day with this big old net. Come on. You, you just can't do it because we've done it. But aren't you glad? Now, look at the next statement. Peter said, but because you, because you say so, I'm going to let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. And they called their friends, and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So is it possible that the Holy Spirit knows where the fish are and that if you'll just do what he says to do, even if it's illogical, even if it doesn't make sense, come on, that God has an ability to put fish in that net, that God can see the future uh, uh, before it ever happens and that God can do these things in our life. Well, that's the first th thing I want you to grab hold of today is that when the Lord tells you to do something, if you will do it, you get yourself in position for extraordinary results to happen in your life. Listen, extraordinary results come when we do what God says. Matthew 14, let's look at another example. Now, mind you, both of these are about Peter. Isn't it logical to believe that if Jesus... Who's, who was who the, the key figure in the early book of Acts? Who was the leader of the church? Yeah, Simon Peter. So wouldn't it make more sense that Peter would get a uh, more specialized training than anybody else? But his training wasn't just in theology, it was in experience. Matthew chapter 14, and I want you to see this today, your faith can grow. Your faith can become stronger. Your faith can, you can be more deliberate in your belief. And Peter is growing in his faith. Matthew 14, verse 25, Jesus has been preaching. Uh, the people have dispersed. It's the evening. And this particular day, they're in the boat on the sea, and he tells them to go back home, go across the sea in the middle of the night, and lo and behold, Jesus is going to stay and pray a while. So here you got the disciples. They're rowing their boat. The water is deep. It's not shallow water, but the water is deep, and the story emerges. Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Now, how many believe that that was possible? Yeah. He's, how many have walked on water? Let me see your hand. Shallow water? Now, I've walked on shallow water in my life. But you've never walked on deep water. Notice what it says. They're terrified. Verse 27, Jesus spoke to them and he said, Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, can you see that their faith, his faith has grown? Now, rather than saying, feed them, well, we don't have anything here to eat. How are we going to feed this man? Now he's saying, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. If it's you, if you tell me to go... The laws of gravity, the laws of nature can be suspended, and I'll walk on water. Well, you know the story. Jesus said, come. Again, we're talking about a word from the Lord, whether in this case Jesus, in our case is the Holy Spirit. A word from the Lord. Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. The waves were probably doing some of this. In my mind, I've envisioned that Peter sometimes is, you know, here in the wave and sometimes he's there in the wave. And he's looking at the boat and he's looking at Jesus. See? And lo and behold, he looks at a wave and notice the next phrase. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. Fear, 
How many know fear tends to erase faith? Fear is like you blowing out a match. It's like, it's like a fire extinguisher to faith. He saw the wind, he was afraid, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, and said, Peter, I'm so proud of you. You're the first person in the history of the world to walk on water. That in your Bible? No. What does it say? It says, oh, you of... Why did you doubt? Now you say, well, that wasn't very nice. How many know a good coach, when he sees potential in you, will keep pushing you? He'll pat you on the back and he'll say, good job. But then he'll say, but you can do a little bit better. You can throw it a little bit farther. Come on. You can make that shot a little bit further away. I believe in you. And that's what Jesus is doing because he's preparing this man for the day of Pentecost to stand up in front of thousands of people and have the first mass conversion to come to Christ. But here's the deal. It was his faith that held him up on the water. His faith in a word from God is just as sure as the floor you're standing on today. Now, what would have happened if Peter wouldn't, would not have gotten out of the boat? What would have happened if he said, let one of the other guys go first? No, he wouldn't have made it. But his faith is he kept his eyes on Jesus. And that's a lesson for us today. Faith acts when God speaks. And if I was going to write one thing down today that I left the church with, I'd write this down. Faith acts when God speaks. Because, my friends, that is a sure word from the Lord. Give the Lord a, a hand this morning. I want to give you a couple more. Luke chapter 18. Sometimes we've got to be patient and wait for extraordinary results to happen. Now, this is the biggest challenge because, my friends, the greatest enemy of your faith is time. The greatest enemy of your faith is waiting. How many can say, Pastor, it's hard for me to wait on popcorn in the microwave? Let me see your hand. Yeah, honest folks in here, me too. We want it, and we want it right now. But let me tell you this. Sometimes extraordinary results take some time. Now, stay with me on this one because this one will help you. Luke chapter 18. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You know what that means? Not lose their faith. That they're supposed to pray and not lose their faith. Now, this is an interesting story. Most parables are what's called with similes. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Or he'll use illustrations in, 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 in comparison. But this is going to be a parable of a contrast. He's going to contrast an unjust judge to a good God. He's going to take somebody that did something motivated by a bad way to bring a good lesson to light. And notice what he said, verse 2. There was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow. Now, in their day, a widow, listen, friends, tough spot to be. In today's world, thank God for Social Security, you know, people that can help, programs, and all these things. But in their day, listen, if you didn't have a husband, a father, a brother, somebody to take care of you, you were in big, big trouble. Well, now she's, someone has, has taken justice from her, and she keeps going, verse 3, to the judge, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now notice verse 4, for a while he refused, but verse 5, but because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she won't beat me down by her continual coming. Now here's what you've got to see. This is a contrast. That does not mean that God is this mean God that you've got to just, you know, beg and plead and beg and plead. God's going to basically say this, hey, I'm a good God. You heard what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him? This is the problem. Most people cry out one time and then leave everything else in the hands of the lawyer. 
They cry out one time and leave everything else in the treatment to the doctor. Now, let me say this. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for lawyers who can help us. Thank God for bankers. Thank God for advice in our business. I'm not telling you to throw them away, but I am telling you this. Hold on to God and never let go. I'm telling you, friends, you hang in there and don't give up. Let's keep going. Will he delay long over them? The implication is not. I tell you, he will give them justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, listen to the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find... So when Jesus comes back, now stay with me on this one, will he find people that are continuing to believe even though they've waited for a really long time? Last night, there was my brother-in-law was here. He's got an eight-year-old. And this eight-year-old has been being treated for cancer for five months. I'm telling you, a tough deal. You want to try to explain something difficult, the only thing I can say is we live in a world where there is evil. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, and Satan doesn't even mind destroying children. Last week we saw the story where Satan, through, through some epileptic uh, events, had, was trying to throw this little boy in the water and fire trying to kill him. So there's an evil devil out there. I got a text on Friday, and the text said, um, we're having to take him back. He has blood in his urine. We've got to take him back to the doctor. Surgeon wants to see him right now. In the car to Little Rock. I want to tell you, after five months of that, it is hard to say, I still believe. Now, he got a good report. All they said was it must have been something to the catheter, and just it's fine now. But I'm telling you, when you face it, you think the worst. When you face it, it is hard to believe. Listen, you've tried to see your family come into the kingdom of God, and some of you have waited decades on them. I'm telling you this, friend. Don't be moved by what you see. Don't be moved by what they're doing. Don't be moved about how many times they've been to jail. Don't be moved about how much, how much beer they drank last night or how much meth was come on in their pocket when you found their pants. I'm telling you, God has the ability, if you will stay with Him, faith can be the bridge between your need, come on, and supernatural results. But time is an enemy. You have to continue to believe. Let's stay with this. Another example, quick one. Luke chapter 11. Again, Jesus is emphasizing the power of persistent faith in a similar story. And it's the same thing. He's going to do a contrast again. And here's the contrast. There's, the, in the, in, there's a, a man that had visitors in the middle of the night. And these visitors were hungry. He wanted to show hospitality, but he had no food. So he's going to a friend's house. And once again, there's going to be a contrast between this lazy friend and a good God. Now, how many know if somebody came to your house in the middle of the night and was hungry, you probably have something. You've got leftovers in the fridge. You can go to the cabinet and say, what do you want to eat? But I want to tell you, there's people in our world, friend, that do not have food for the next day. I went to Mexico one time, and I was watching. We were working on a rehab center. And this woman would come every day same time and she would go towards the end of the day and she'd go to this store which amounted to a board two shelves in the side of somebody's house that had a little bit of rice and beans and tomatoes or whatever tortillas and the, uh, her husband would work all day for a handful of pesos and she'd go and buy food that evening and then go cook that food for her family so this was likely a man like that and he wants to provide something hospitable for his friends he goes and knocks in the middle of the night and the guy says Probably what you and I would say too. Hey, it's late. Don't you realize it's 2 in the morning? Come back tomorrow. All right, that's the setup. Well, notice now, uh, Jesus said, Luke 11, verse 8, I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking... If you keep knocking long enough, he's going to get up and give you whatever you need. Why? Because of your shameless persistence. 
teaching persistence. So I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. I think this is the New Living Translation. Some translations just say, ask and you'll receive. But we don't see, in, in the Greek, there was a tense of a verb that was a continuous tense that said, ask and keep on asking. So you're asking is you're asking until. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door, everybody say it, will be open to you. Now, when you think of those two parables about the woman and about the friend are difficult for me to relate to God unless I see that this is a contrast. God is not like that. God is not busy. God is not uncaring. God is not in heaven just waiting for me to, uh, to quit bugging him and give me what I need. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you why you have to wait. Sometimes you're waiting because you are asking for something that's not the will of God. Sometimes you're asking for something and you're just pushing. Like I shared with you last week, that story of that. I had this girl I thought I was going to marry. And I just really tried to pray and pray her in. And thank God, God didn't answer my prayer. I said that in front of my wife last week. And she's not here. So you can start a rumor if you want to. Um, you don't have to add the fact that she was in a Mexico missions trip that was planned. You can just say the preacher said he wanted to marry some other girl. And his wife wouldn't even at church today. So, you know, go ahead and just post that if you want to. Just teasing. Where were we? Oh, yeah. Sometimes you ask for things. Come on. Again, faith is not a genie's lamp where you just rub hard enough until you get a polish on that thing. Come on, like silver that's tarnished that you polish it up and then God's going to do it. Faith is not like that. Now, listen. As we're praying in the will of God, you may find that it's totally a timing issue. I want you to think about this. Many things that are the will of God, Christians give up before the answer comes because it's a timing issue. I want you to think about John the Baptist's parents. They're righteous and godly and blameless people. They're beyond the age of childbearing, but the Bible says the womb was barren. Righteous and blameless people had waited all their lives for a baby, and they didn't have one, and it was simply because it was not time for John the Baptist to be born. Now, I'm telling you, sometimes there's timing issues that come into play in our lives, and we've just got to wait until. How I many know God's time frame is not always our time frame? You can't always put into your alarm clock when the answer's coming from God. A second thing may be you're having to wait because there's spiritual uh, attack in your life because the devil is there that's trying to come and knock you down and beat you up and steal and rob from you what God would have you do. And can I tell you, my friend, all you can do in that case is you've got to fight. But the bottom line of these passages teach us is that we have to have persistence in our faith and not give up and not quit until the answer comes. Now, let me close with one more, and then we're going to have a, a word of prayer before we go this morning. John chapter 11, John chapter 11, and, and, and hear this. No matter what happens, keep on believing. Let me say it again. No matter what happens, keep on believing. Now, look at this passage with me. John chapter 11, verse 17. Now, the story is Mary and Martha. We touched on them a couple weeks ago. Let's revisit them. Mary and Martha have a brother who's sick. His name is Lazarus. These people are described as people that Jesus loved. Now, they're special. They're special friends to Jesus. And you would think that Jesus would have quickly answered their prayer. It just is kind of logical, right? It's, it's almost in our minds. You know, the holier you are, the, you know, you give, you, you serve, you walk with God, you live a holy life, so God's supposed to do everything you ask when you ask it. We, we think that way now. But in this case, lo and behold, Lazarus died. Jesus didn't come when he could have come. Look at verse 17. When Jesus arrived, Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb four days. 
Now, I want you to see the contrast between these two sisters after their prayer had not been answered. Notice what happens. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, what did she do? She went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. What you're going to see now is that one sister kept believing. One sister quit. One sister felt let down. Anyone ever felt let down by God? Oh, buddy, I'm telling you, I told my story last week. I didn't go to church for several months because I was mad at God. I showed him. I showed him if he didn't answer my prayer what I was going to do. Is that not the stupidest thing you've ever heard? Then why does the person wearing your shoes do that sometimes? Come on. Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. Can you see the level of faith? If you've been here, watch it go even higher. Martha said to Jesus, he wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you anything you ask. So what is she saying? Jesus, you can raise him from the dead. And then Jesus said, your brother will rise and live again. And it's, I, I don't know what's going on here with Martha. Maybe she's backtracking or what. But verse 24 says, I know he's going to rise and live again in the resurrection on the last day. Well, bottom line, this gal kept believing. Now, as soon as they sent for Mary, she eagerly came and reconnected with Jesus. But I'm telling you, you and I need to be like Martha. When it comes to something that we're believing God for, and in our hearts, as best we know how, we're convinced it's the will of God. We need to keep, believe and keep on believing and not let, come on, an unanswered prayer stop us. You cannot define your relationship with God by what happened yesterday. Let me say it again. You cannot define today's relationship by yesterday's mountain. You cannot get the fact that yesterday didn't work the way I wanted it to keep me from believing today. Because Martha said, listen, I know he's dead, and you could have stopped it, but I believe he can raise from the dead today. And I believe, listen, even if he doesn't rise from the dead today, I know he's coming out of that tomb on the last day. Because this is all a warm-up anyway on earth, right? This is all practice. And ultimately, I can't control all these things, but ultimately, God will win. And that's what faith says. Now listen, if you don't believe these last couple points are real and you need them, I'm telling you, we've been reading through the book of Revelation in our Bibles, and I want to tell you, that's a bloody book. I want to tell you, people, believing people, are dying and killed in the book of Revelation. People, listen, if you don't take the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation, you can't buy or sell, which means you can't eat, buddy. Your debit card's not working. Your credit card's not working. They take away your silver and gold or whatever the case is. You're kind of stuck in a hard spot. Because the Bible has challenged you to be a conqueror. Can I tell you? You may have to face a sacrifice that day. And if your faith is tied to God answering your prayer. And Lazarus dies. You've got a real problem. But what I'm telling you. No matter what happens. Let your faith be steadfast in God. Come on. Let your faith be steadfast in God. I can die hungry on this earth, but I'm not going to be hungry for all eternity because I'm starting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come on, and we're going to eat whenever we want, whatever we want, forever, and not worry about calories. Now, listen, you got to grab this one because a lot of people, when the difficulty comes, they quit. A lot of people, when Lazarus dies, they walk away from God, and here's what they say, it didn't work. And here's the problem. You're basing your relationship with God on what He does rather than on who He is. Come on. And who He is does not change. What He does or doesn't do is sometimes influenced by His timing, by sometimes by our desire, oftentimes by spiritual conflict in the world. 
But my friend, he is a good God. Come on. And I'm going to choose to believe. How about you? Come on, everybody, give him a big hand. I choose to believe. I choose to believe. I look the facts in the face and say, I still believe. We're going to close with prayer today like we did last week. But, but give me just one second, kind of eyeball to eyeball, and let me ask you, ask you a question. It's about your relationship with God. I don't know how much you've tracked with me in the message today because I'm telling you, if you'd have said what I said today when I was a teenager, I wouldn't listen. I'd have checked out somewhere in the line. I'd have laughed at a story or two. You'd have caught my attention on Facebook. But other than that, I probably, you know, wouldn't have listened too much because at that time of my life, I just called on God when I was in trouble. I didn't have a daily relationship with God. I didn't know that I could know Christ in a real personal way day by day. I didn't know God wanted to be real to me. I didn't know He wanted to be my Savior that I knew day by day. And can I tell you, friend, He does. Jesus doesn't want to just be to you the one you call on when you have a crisis. He wants to be a friend in your life that sticks closer than a brother. He wants to be someone that you don't read your Bible and pray out of obligation, but because you want to spend some time with Him because you know Him. And that's what I want to tell you today. You can know God in a personal way. And the difference between religion and, re and Christianity is relationship with God. And here's how it starts. I want you to imagine this today. We're all in a car. We're in our separate cars. And our car is stopped at a two-way stop, at at, at stop sign. And there's only two ways I can go left or right. One way is to turn left and go back to my old lifestyle, the way I was living. The other way is to make a turn to the right and begin to follow Christ to begin to live for Him, to begin to profess my faith in Him, that I believe He lived and died and He's coming again. That I believe that He has the potential to forgive my sins if I will ask Him to do so. And listen, I commit to follow Him all my days. In just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to commit your life to Christ. It's not joining this church, but it's coming to Christ. And all I am is the one pointing the way today to the cross, saying that Jesus died on that cross to pay the penalty for your sins so your sins wouldn't keep you away from God and they wouldn't keep you out of heaven. I'm the messenger. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you if you want prayer this morning to receive Christ, to give your life to Him. If you'll be bold enough to lift your hand, you'll find that people will clap. We will help you. We'll give you something that will help you in your faith as you walk with God all your days. But I'm telling you, friends, it's a defining moment. It's a defining moment. And if something in your heart is drawing you to God today, See, and I understand that drawing. Like I said, I was raised in church. But I mean, just going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I'd, I had this relationship with God. If I was in trouble, I'd call, and sometimes he'd help, sometimes he wouldn't, and I'd put him back on the shelf. Something happened to me in August 1976, August 15th. It was a Navy boot camp where I surrendered my life to Christ. And I wonder if today, responding to what Jesus has done for you, if you'll put your trust in him. For some, it might be the first time you've ever made a step to Christ. For others, maybe you have walked with God before, but you've gotten away. And today is a day that you want to come back to Him. Right now, there's a, there's a tug of war going on inside you. Something inside you is saying, I, I want to pray. Something is saying, get out the door. What do you think the difference is? One is God calling. One is the enemy of your soul trying to pull you back in that left side. So if you're here today and you're ready to turn your back on your old life, you're ready to get right with God, and you want to make a step to Him, let us pray for you this morning. If that's you, lift your hand and let us pray this morning. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to get right with God this morning. I want to put my trust in Him. I want to do what people have done. God bless you there in the back. Give Him a big hand. I want to put my trust in Christ. I want to put my trust in Him. Someone else this morning, say, pray for me. 
Pray for me. Why are you doing this where everybody's watching? Because I know if you can't do this in a crowd of people that will clap their hands, you will never do it at work tomorrow. Come on. When they're laughing, watching pornography, and telling dirty jokes, you will not bow your head and pray over your food. Come on. Because there's got to be a walking away from the past and a stepping into the future. We want to help you. Last time anyone here today said, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get right with God. Anyone else this morning? God bless you too. Give him a big hand. I'm proud of you, buddy. Somebody else? Pray for me this morning. I want to get right with Christ. I want to give my life to God. Come on at you that raised your hand. Let us pray for you this morning. Come on, let us pray for you two guys. Bring your friend with you if you like. Come on up. Just let us pray for you. And somebody's going to be right here. Give them one more big hand. They'll meet you right here. They'll meet you right here. God bless you, buddy. Every step to God is always a right step. Come on, Jeff's going to talk to you. God bless you, pal. Every step to God, a right step. What's your first name? Lamar? Damar, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here too, girl. God bless you. Here's how we're going to close. Go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. As they're praying, I want to invite you to pray. There's a scripture on the screen. It's the one I shared last week. It's from Matthew. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, these are the words of Jesus, Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it, and it will be yours. Can you say that with me? Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received and it'll be yours. We'd like to have that opportunity to pray right now. Uh, I'm going to ask you in just a second, if you're, if you're comfortable doing it, if not, certainly you don't have to, but I want to encourage you to turn to someone, one person, two people, and say, what can I pray with you about? What are you asking God for do in your life? What needs do you have? What struggles do you have? People that you love, that you care about, what's on your heart? What's the burden of your soul? I want to believe God with you, that God will answer that prayer. So in just a minute, you'll turn and pray for them. And when you're done, you're free to be dismissed. And if you want to connect with me and across the hallway, I'd love to meet you that are new and, and say hello. But anyway, why don't you go ahead and let's close in prayer this morning. Just turn to somebody next to you and say, hey, listen, what can I pray with you about? And you pray with them. And after you're done, you're free to be dismissed. And I'll see you next week. Throw up my